Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley, and this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who has somehow never seen The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files, spoiler-free. Today, we are talking about Season 3, Episode 7, The Walk. It originally aired November 10th, 1995. It was written by John Shaban and directed by Rob Bowman, the director of Airborne. The Rock and Roller <laughs> movie. Starring Shane McDermott, <laughs> Seth Green, and a young Jack Black. We just saw him. A few episodes ago. A young Jack Black, yep. In this episode, we have Thomas Kapash as General Thomas Callahan. He was Principal Evans in Catch Me If You Can. No I've idea. Never seen it. I know that I've seen it, but... I had to put 2002 because, for some reason, Catch Me If You Can is referenced a lot, just in the ether. In day-to-day life. And I can't believe it's 20 years old, and I've never seen it, and have no interest. No, it's... Willie Garson as Quentin Roach Freely. He was in Boy Meets World. Yes, he was. And Sex in the City. Uh, yes. I know that, but I've never seen the show. Don Thompson as Lieutenant Colonel Victor Stans. He may sound familiar because he was in Conduit. He was Holtzman in Conduit. Holtzman. And he was Henry Willig in Sleepless. I knew that he looked familiar. And somehow I knew he was in Conduit because I thought he was... I was like, that's not Lieutenant Colonel Budas, is it? And that's no. not even Conduit. That's Deep no. Throat. Yep. I saw Don Thompson and I was like, I know this guy. So, that was fun. We also have Nancy Sorrell as Captain Janet Draper. She was in, was, is, I think it's ended, The Man in the High Castle. Okay. As Mary Dawson. And Ian Tracy as Leonard Rappo Trimble. He was in Time Cop. He was in Time Cop, okay. Also, Nancy Sorrell and Ian Tracy were later in a TV miniseries called Keep Your Head Up, Kid, The Don Cherry Story outstanding is he really a quadruple amputee no okay then they did a great job because i i thought that they actually got a quadruple amputee to play this part they did not and i was giving them kudos in my head for Mm. actually doing that and then i guess i take the kudos (laughs) back props to the prop department yes unkudos to the casting i have a little bit about the writer john shaban John Shaban. John Shaban. The Walk is his first X-Files script. He commented that it was a challenge for him, which makes sense because it was his very first script. Yeah. He was inspired by the film The Men from 1950. It is an American drama film set mostly in a paraplegic ward of a VA hospital. And the film stars Marlon Brando in his film debut. Oh, wow. It sounds... Depressing. That yes, all it sounds very depressing. So, if you are curious, there you go. You want to know a little bit about the reception, or do you want to get into it? Sure, let's get some reception. All right. So, Emily Vanderwerf of the AV Club gave it a grade of B, describing it as straightforward, with a well-realized military hospital and terrific directing. However, she felt that Ian Tracy was not a good enough actor to make Rappo's motive seem believable. That is one of the reasons I thought he was actually a quadriplegic, because I was like, how many stellar quadriplegic or quadru, quadruple amputee? 
It's like, you probably have to take what you can get. Like child actors where you're like... Yeah, you're like, you have these a, people deserve to have jobs and a, you should cast... You have a limited pool, but yeah. you want to be real? No, yeah. they didn't do that. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Robert Sherman and Lars Pearson in their book, Wanting to Believe, A Critical Guide to the X-Files, Millennium, <laughs> and the Lone Gunman. I'm glad we got that and the Rob Bowman thing in the same episode. Mm-hmm. Rated the episode three and a half stars out of five, noting its similarities to other episodes such as the previous Too Shy, but felt that, I'm going to just call him Siobhan, okay. has put real blood and passion into it, which raises it high above the trappings of its cliches. They criticized the plot for being too predictable and formulaic, but said it succeeded in emotion and was well-written and well-directed. I, huh, I don't agree with a lot of that. Well? I think that it is predictable and formulaic, but there's not any passion in it. One of the things I was going to say at the end is all of the extra exposition in the list that we didn't need because you've already explained it, they don't explain anything. <laughs> About the backstory of what's going on here. Right. Why is he targeting these specific people? These specific individuals, which is actually a good question because we find out at some point that Callahan doesn't know who he is. Yeah. Just because he was under their command when he got injured? I guess so. I guess going all the way to the top makes sense. I mean, look, you might as well go all the way to the top. And of course, the person at the top has no idea who the bodies are that he's throwing into the line of fire are. Yeah, but Callahan's not the top. No. But you keep going. Callahan is well, Callahan on the way. Clearly, his end game. You think it's clearly his end game? Yeah, because he wanted Callahan to kill him. Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> not well, then much. that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, not much you can do after that. No, you're right. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I was omitting that piece, and yeah, then Callahan would make sense on the way. You just keep going up the ladder. That would make sense. But you're right. Yeah, there's not enough exposition in this. Uh, he got hurt while under these, but what was he doing? Should he have been in the position he was in? Was he in the middle of committing a war crime? Well, yes. A literal war crime. I mean, probably. Good chance. Yeah. I mean, in Iraq. All right, so let's get into it. We're at the VA hospital in Fort Evanston, Maryland. Lieutenant Colonel Victor Stans makes his third suicide attempt. The doctors think these are cries for help. First thought, let's get this man some Burt's Bees. <laughs> my first thought was help him if that's the case if you think this is a cry for help instead help what, him instead what he does is he gets up and leaves him alone yeah this the, man who keeps trying to kill himself i'm gonna give you a moment the doctor leaves to get him something to help him sleep and i was like all of this sounds wrong you have someone who you believe wants to end their life Oh and no, you're going it's just to, cry for help. And you're going to give them something to sleep? You're going to give them a sedative? I guess you're not giving them all of the sedatives. But in this hospital, you might as well just give them the... Here, here's the container so we don't have the nurses to come in and check on you. <laughs> Yikes, it's bad. So the doctor leaves. Lieutenant Colonel Stans claims that a mysterious figure will not let him die. But the doctor leaves anyway. And Stans takes the opportunity to sneak out turn a tub to boiling which why, why can it get that hot on earth does it go to that temperature he puts loose weights in the pockets of his hospital gown men even get pockets in their goddamn hospital <laughs> you know how many pockets i have on me right now two one 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 that will fit only my house key if i take it off the chain 
do you want me to start doing your shopping for you? No. To make better decisions? You no. You can have more This pockets? is not about that. I want you to, I need to sew, take over. No, I want you to sew pockets onto all of my clothes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on the outside. On the outside. That's, <laughs> yeah. Seems unpractical. Look, I need the lines to still work, so I need the pockets on the outside. <laughs> yes, that'll look much better. <laughs> Stans attempts to drown in the tub of scalding water, but is rescued by firefighters and hospital staff. He lives, but is subsequently burned all over his entire body. Wonder how they got there so fast. I don't know. Yeah, they're so fast. They were there so fast, fully suited. Yeah. It takes a couple of minutes to get fully suited. Maybe how not. How long but does it... it take to boil a human? I don't know. I didn't look that up. I looked up some other fun stuff, but that yeah, wasn't... we should have looked that up. Hmm. Huh. Hmm. Let's see. You do a turkey, what two minutes per pound in the oven? I have no idea. So if we want to get him up to one sixty-five. But you don't boil a turkey. You can boil a goose. Why? Would you do that? To cook it. So I guess you could boil a turkey. So you could probably boil a turkey. Wouldn't that be flavorless? Oh yeah, it's probably super gross. But you can do it. I mean, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You're scientists. Yes. Three weeks later, Mulder and Scully question Stans. Scully thinks it's classic PTSD. But Stans explains there's a phantom soldier who told him, your time has come, and then started taking it all away. She writes shell shock in her notebook. Come on, Scott. Everybody in this episode, top to bottom, is the fucking worst. Yes, I didn't write that down. I just wrote classic PTSD. Because <laughs> she also wrote that. They learn that Stans' wife and children died in a house fire. He claims it started by the mysterious soldier, he also says that the mysterious soldier will not allow him to die himself. That's when Captain Janet Draper comes in and stops the questioning, as Mulder and Scully were not granted permission to see stands by his superior officer, who is General Thomas Callahan. It's a good scene between two women who are standing their ground and saying, this is the protocol. It's another scene where Mulder says absolutely nothing while Scully takes the lead. <laughs> yes, it is. It is, though, the most forceful Scully is so far in the series with anybody. And it's yeah. because it's another woman. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. I wrote that because it would be a good scene for Scully if she was talking to a man. But keeping with the theme of everybody in this episode is the fucking worst. Scully's able to be like this because it's another woman. And I don't think in this instance... Mulder should have said anything. So good job, Mulder, shutting up and oh. just looking pretty. <laughs> oh, so he's not the worst. Yet. No, okay. in this case. In this scene. In, yeah, in this scene. He has a real bad scene coming up. He's got a, a lot. It all falls apart from here. But <laughs> while well, Captain Draper goes to speak with General Callahan, and the agents go back to Lieutenant Colonel Stans, and we see a group therapy session of soldiers. So all three of these things are happening simultaneously, and we are in group session. It's going okay until the guy known as Rappo interrupts and makes a scene. He's handled with care by the group leader, but decides he's over group and calls the nurse known as Roach to take him away. As Roach wheels Rappo down the hall, Rappo asks Roach what's wrong. Even now, after watching it a second time, it kind of blows my mind that they had the guy who's just missing one adjustment. Like, that's no big deal. Right. Uh, who's missing one leg. It's above the knee, so it's a problem. But they have him making this impassioned speech about dreaming of walking on his own two legs. But he's surrounded by people who are in 
far worse conditions than he is. There's a half a guy. Rappo has no arms and no legs. And this guy is waxing poetic when he's the least bad off of the people who are bad off. Do you think that makes it less important for him to be able to express himself? No, you're correct about that, but because it's this his isn't audience. Real. It's also group. You've never been in group therapy, huh? No. <laughs> group therapy is a whole different beast. It is interesting that that's who the production chose. Right, that's... Probably true. because he was the best at delivering the lines. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> He's a better actor than Rappo. Yes. But I'm just saying, in, in this scenario, he's in group. He's supposed to be able to express himself, and it's he's got the talking stick, so he should be able to say whatever he needs to say. Yeah. Where else is he going to be able to do this? I guess you're right. It just, I find it disjointed because of who he is saying all of this to. I agree, but this is the only scene that we've seen and I'm just I don't want to discourage anybody who is in a group scenario from saying the things that they need to say <laughs> yeah also I don't want to make it seem like I think missing one leg is a no big deal I did have an uncle who was missing a leg but it was below the knee so he just popped a thing on was it easier to get a prosthetic for that I'm Pro- sure it was, I'm sure it is I'm, I'm sure it was still especially since you have the joint there mm-hmm. that you need so it's definitely an easier situation than above the knee it's still got to be, I mean, it's life-altering. Yeah, either, either way you go. And I think that's what we're supposed to take from this, but also Rappo gets real angry because he's like, oh, yeah, he basically says what you're saying, except aggressively and angrily. Yeah, we're not, none of us are normal. Yeah, th- he okay, a, he says that, which is not what you were saying, but yeah. he, he basically is saying, why are you complaining because you are just losing You've just lost part of a leg. And look at me. Oh my god, I don't have any legs! And it's like, I understand why you're mad, but this this specific outburst isn't well enough played for me to have the compassion that I, I need to have for this scenario mm. to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mainly because he's not a good actor. Yeah, he's not. I wonder if he's any better in Time Cop. I'm sure he's great in Time Cop. Because he just has to walk around in a suit? Because I saw Time Cop in the theater, so... Oh, so everybody Everybody in that movie has to be good. Got it. The agents meet with Callahan, and they mention something about a guy who put himself into a wood chipper on the hospital grounds? Yeah. (laughs) These these people are no good at anything. Maybe they're very good technical doctors, but when you let suicidal people around things that can kill people... Just willy-nilly. How do you let a guy get that close to a wood chipper? I don't know. I We had the sound on really low, and so I was like, did I miss something? But I remember hearing that the first time that you were watching it, and then the second time I was just, just still like, I don't... What? How desperate do you have to be? Incredibly. That's, I mean, as desperate as the guy who Boiling tried to yourself. boil himself alive. This is awful. Everything that's happening is awful. Yeah, and the characters are having awful reactions to all of it. And none of them are really that great at conveying how awful all of this is. This could have been heart-wrenching. Yeah, and if it, it was done right. And it wasn't. Yeah. I'm not sure what was missing. I think a couple of things were missing. Yeah, definitely some backstory. Yeah, even if they made me care about the people in the moment. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the X-Files isn't great about fleshing out their Monster of the Week people anyway. No. Or anybody. 
we're getting a little bit more about Mulder and Scully sometimes, but not a lot. Where they're not giving us a lot of backstory about them either. I guess we got that all in season one. I guess, and in the books that I read. Yeah. Which Chris Carter said are now canon, so I can use that. Scully and Mulder inspect the room where Stan's put himself in the boiling tub. Scully thinks Callahan has everything to hide. It's nice when she's right. I wish the show realized that. (laughs) After meeting with the agents, Captain Draper apologizes to Callahan about the agents and bringing them in and having them question him. Although she was just doing her job because that's literally what the protocol and the hierarchy demands. So she did exactly what she needed to do. Callahan dismisses her, not rudely, but basically says, go home, relax. She leaves and he hears the phantom soldier stands described. He also finds his answering machine replaying an unintelligible message. Next, we catch up with Captain Draper in the changing room at the pool. It's after 10.30 p.m. and she's still getting her laps in. Incredible dedication. Good for her. Yeah. She could probably do 100 push-ups, 100 (laughs) sit-ups, and a 10K run every day for three years if she really put herself to it. And then she would be one punch man. She'd be one punch lady. (laughs) Lady one punch. (laughs) One punch girl. Oh, that's, yeah. That is what they would do. Yes. And she'd have a boob window in her outfit. Of course. Outfit. Yes. And like cutouts on the side also. Just like the least amount of... But I do hope that Mulder puts on his Speedo and joins her for some laps. That'd be great. Yeah. I hope it wasn't Mulder in the pool. (laughs) Mulder murdered her? I do like the shot where we see her shadow on the pool ceiling. That's a good shot. With the the lights coming up underneath. So we see her shadow and she's swimming. And then we see another shadow swimming rapidly up to her, which is... And reach out. You can see the two hands reach out to her. It's a really good shot. It's a really good shot. And when she gets pulled under, there's... The first shot where we can see her body being pulled down, that is a really good effect. Whatever they did for that effect was fantastic. Yeah, this scene was, I put, perfect water terror scenario. Yeah. They did a great job with this scene. Yeah. It was... The best scene in the episode. It really was. It was 20 seconds, and it was the (laughs) the best scene of everything. After she sees the person in the pool, she obviously is looking around for anyone, but of course she's alone. She decides to get out of the pool as one would, because that's spooky. And that's when the invisible force grabs her and drowns her. We'll find out when they find her body that there are fingerprint bruising on her neck and shoulders. So she was strangled and drowned. Double scary. Yeah. When Scully talks to Callahan, she asks him if he'll be contacting her family, which Callahan says she has no family. The army is her family. (laughs) And I just wrote, groan. (laughs) Awful. She has no family at all because she was a professional woman with a with a career that she was moving up in. This is exactly the conversation. She's working out at 10.30 p.m. She this, doesn't have time for a man. This is exactly the conversation we were having on the trail today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wife and test. Yes. About how in the 80s women could only be one thing and if they were professional and they didn't have a family because of course they didn't and then as soon as they fell in love with a man they quit their job and decided that all they really wanted to be was a stay-at-home woman man i wanted to be an 80s housewife so bad growing up i'd still have that dream well it's because you don't know actually how much work they do okay i bet their knees aren't nearly as bad as mine yeah they have to do 100 (laughs) high jumps 
<laughs> I bet they get a lot less heat stroke than I do. 100 laps around the neighborhood in the heat. Yes. <laughs> Mulder is convinced that it's Stan's phantom who murdered her. He warns Callahan about his family potentially being in trouble and asks about anything unusual. That's when Callahan's like, what do you mean by unusual? And he's like, <laughs> I keep seeing ghosts. And, he, and Mulder literally looks up the definition in the Webster's Dictionary and tells him the <laughs> definition of, of unusual. Noun. <laughs> or adjective. Yeah, I guess it's an adjective. <laughs> Callahan tells the agents about the soldier and the voicemail, which ha- was received twice before at his home. So he's heard this three times now. Yeah. While everybody's haunted. Having, yeah. While everybody's being haunted and they're... Not only is everybody being haunted, their families are being murdered. I didn't know this was unusual until you told me what the definition of unusual <laughs> is. We cut to Callahan's house. The mail arrives through the mail slot and the son calls his mother. He's like, Mom, mail's here. And then he sees a man in the house and yells for his mother until she comes downstairs because obviously that's terrifying. As Mrs. Callahan is looking around, we see Roach sneaking through the house. And I was like, their mail slot works. <laughs> it does. That's, that's all. Our mail slot doesn't work. Yeah, it does. Have you ever been here when somebody's trying to put something in the mail slot? Apparently not. No. The agents and Callahan arrive. Callahan basically asks if his son is okay and then tells his wife to fuck off. No need to look for whoever was just inside the house. Nope. No need to say, hey, I'm here. Let's make sure everything's clear. Tell me what happened. Nothing. Why don't you go upstairs where we've not checked to see if this person is still. Yeah. There was literally a person in the house. Maybe he's upstairs. Why don't you go? Calm down. You're overreacting. Yeah. It was a lot. Trevor believes he saw someone go inside and then Scully herself glimpses someone in the backyard. She goes outside, she finds footprints in the sandbox, and fingerprints are found at the property, which belonged to the hospital mailman. So did they not believe Francis that there was somebody in the house? I don't think so. I don't think anybody believed Francis. That has to be what was going on. Yeah. So they've dust for fingerprints at some point, and they find out that it is not the hospital mailman. It's the guy at the hospital named Roach, the who's the nurse that Rappo knows. As Mulder and Scully take Roach into custody, they, after they search his house and find an ant infestation. After they kick in his door, guns drawn, immediately after saying open the door. It's open the door, kick, as he's getting up to walk to open the door. Which is also wild because they found his fingerprints, but what else? Place him at the scene of the crime. But what crime? Stealing mail. You don't think murdering somebody? No, no. Is a good... At the Callahan's house is where they found the fingerprints. Yeah, where he stole their mail. That's what they were dusting for fingerprints for? Yeah. Stealing the mail? And being inside the house. Well, yeah, being inside the house makes sense. That's nuts. You don't think that 17 people with guns is a proper response for stealing mail? I think 17 people with guns is not the proper response for anything. Wow. Soft on crime, Kristen. I know, my tree-hugging self. <laughs> it, this scene blows my mind. It doesn't make any sense. They are ready to kill this guy because he stole mail. Right. The only reason that they think anybody was even in the house, because they do not believe Francis, 
is because there were footprints through the sandbox in the backyard, which, by the way, is not fenced off from any other yards. Do you know how many people... The neighbor walked into the backyard in another scene in boots just like that. I don't think that guy was the neighbor. I think it was there to watch over them. Is that what he was? I think that's, I think that's what he was. I didn't he know what he obviously was. obviously did a bad job. Yeah, he was terrible at whatever it was he was doing. He was attractive, though. I was like, who's this attractive soldier? And then I never knew because I didn't know why he was there. <laughs> I didn't even know he was attractive. Well, now you do. Okay, so anyway, that's none of that makes sense. Under questioning, Roach admits to his role in the deaths and states that he is Rappo's mailman. Rappo turns out to be Leonard Trimble, who is Ian Tracy, who is the quadruple amputee, a Gulf War veteran, and also a terrible actor. Sorry, Ian. I hope you got better. Scully doesn't believe Roach, even though he insists that Rappo will kill him next, which happens. Scully goes, I don't, I don't remember where she went. She left. And Roach is in his cell, but because Rappo has already been in that cell, wild. For some reason that they don't explain. Right. Rappo can get to him because the thing is that they kind of explain at some point, but I don't remember when. Basically, Rappo needs to have eyes on a location, and he can get his eyes on a location through Roach. Through the mail? Yeah. He has to have some sort of link to the place. So, whatever. He ends up killing Roach by shoving a bedsheet down his throat, but Scully thinks that Roach committed suicide by shoving a bedsheet down his throat. (laughs) Yeah. How far would it have to be to kill you? You would fight. Your body would fight at some point and pull it out. Yeah. It's bananas. I don't want to dwell on it too long because it's none of the explanations are going to be positive as to how that would happen, but no. Mulder shows Scully x-ray dental plates that he's been carrying around in the rehab room, the pool, Callahan's office, and Callahan's house. And they all show signs of radiation, which is where I think I checked out completely. (laughs) I vacillate on this because sometimes it's fun when Mulder just immediately knows what's going on. Sometimes. And the dental x-ray thing I thought was a good way of him to like test his theory. But why is there radiation involved with the astral projection? Why does he have these? He got them somewhere. All right. That's fine. Yeah, He so he thinks that Rappo is leaving his body through astral projection, doing so with a psychic connection forged through Roach's letters. What? Because (laughs) astral projection and radiation didn't make any sense. No. And so instead of looking that up, I found... I did Science Corner. Just kidding. We're heading to Reddit because everyone knows astral projection has nothing to do with radiation. (laughs) (laughs) So instead of trying to find some sort of weird way that radiation and astral projection could be connected, I actually found this question on Reddit. Okay. Has anyone gone to Chernobyl during AP? AP being astral projection. I have a list of places I want to AP to, and Chernobyl is one of them. I was wondering if the radiation has any effect on the AP experience. And I was like, hmm, now I do too. (laughs) So the mod, Psychotic Wolfie, responded. (laughs) That's who you want answering your scientific questions. If you're wondering as to the safety of it, it would be completely okay. The radiation wouldn't affect your physical body since it would still be wherever you projected from. 
Ionizing radiation is dangerous because it interacts with physical matter. So since your astral body isn't made up of anything physical, you'd be fine, which I thought was great. And then Psychotic Wolfie also linked in the, let's see, radiation and health under nuclear radiation and health effects from world-nuclear.org. So they're cited their sources, which I appreciate. And also just to circle back, your astral body isn't made up of anything physical, which really blows the lid off this entire episode. Because, because you can't murder anybody? You can't murder anybody. You don't have radiation to mess up somebody's dental x-rays. None of it. Wow. Scholarly journal Reddit really put a damper on this episode. And if you're going to astral project, Chernobyl's an okay place to go. Fantastic. Good to know. Yep. Mulder also plays the voicemail backwards because he asks Scully if she's ever heard of backmasking. So he's just stacking shit up in this one scene where he's like astral projection and radiation and backmasking. <laughs> and Scully's like, I don't think any of this is real. When he plays the voicemail backwards, it is actually a threat from the Phantom Soldier, which is actually what backmasking is when you... So backmasking is a recording technique in which a message is recorded backward onto a track that is meant to be played forward. It is a deliberate process, whereas a message found through phonetic reversal is unintentional. Okay, what's phonetic reversal? So that's when, phonetic reversal is when if you play something backwards, you could hear something because your brain wants you to make sense of things because oh. our brain's like puzzles and wants you to figure them out. Religious kooks in the 80s and Judas Priest albums. Yes. So the phonetic reversal is most likely unintentional. The backmasking is intentional and has been used in commercials at movie theaters been used in songs it's been used in a lot of things there's there's a lot of commercial reasoning a lot of not reasoning a lot of commercial uses especially a couple decades ago when people were nuts about this stuff my favorite is twin peaks x-files alumni michael thompson editor's note number one it's anderson is the man in the red room and he speaks backwards, and then they reverse it. Yes. So he's speaking forward. Which is nuts, which is great. Would you like some coffee? Some of your friends are real. That would be so difficult to do. Yeah. Great. They hired him without knowing that he, as a child, learned how to speak backwards. Huh. Yeah. And they just found it out and they were like, this is perfect for this. Because <laughs> they hired him because, you know, he's a little person and they wanted a little person in that role. But he, as a child, had learned to speak backwards. Amazing. Amazing. So artists have been using backmasking for artistic, comedic, and satiric effect on both analog and digital recordings. So it is done on purpose. It's also been used to censor words or phrases for clean releases of explicit songs season one of the cast files <laughs> yes but here is the eye rolly bit in 1969 rumors of a backmasked message in the beatles song revolution 9 sparked the paul is dead urban legend since at least the early 1980s christian groups in the united states alleged that backmasking was being used by prominent rock musicians for satanic purposes leading to record-burning protests and proposed anti-backmasking legislation by state and federal governments during the 1980s as a part of the satanic panic movement of the time. Which, look into any and all of this. It 
is all cuckoo bananas and my goodness we are a country of dum-dums we are you know what's not dum-dum the documentary paul really is dead that i watched on netflix one night several years ago because i was bored and i thought it'd be funny is he dead now it what no oh he's still alive yes he's still alive I don't know anything. Why? How old is he? A thousand? <laughs> wow. <laughs> but the documentary, Paul Really Is Dead, IMDb describes it as the truth about the urban legend is finally revealed by George Harrison in newly discovered secret audio tapes. Paul McCartney was killed in a car crash in 1966 and replaced with a double exclamation point at the end. And it is supposedly these audio tapes that were recorded by George Harrison when he was in the hospital when that mentally unwell person broke into his house and stabbed him. Oh, he had that happen too? Yeah. And he, he was in the hospital and supposedly recorded these, these tapes. And the documentary people say that they can't verify whether or not it's actually George Harrison. My theory on that is because it's the worst fucking Cockney accent I've ever heard in my life. Editor's note, it's not even supposed to be a Cockney accent. It's supposed to be a Liverpudlian accent, which it also is terrible. It is just terrible. Mm. <laughs> but it outlines the whole conspiracy theory. It's so bad and so funny, as long as you don't believe it. Okay. Because <laughs> if you believe it and you're taking this as evidence, <laughs> then no, it's, it's, it's rough. But I just looked on IMDb to look it up to talk about it right now, and it's listed as documentary and fantasy. Wow! <laughs> so. I can't watch documentaries anymore because now I'm like, now I don't know if this is actually a documentary as I think a documentary should be, or if this is satirical, or if this is documented fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that if they would just label them like that, then I would have a better time. Yeah. Documentary now on yes. the IFC. That was fantastic. Yes. If you're unfamiliar with the Paul is Dead conspiracy theory, here's some of the, you know, quote-unquote evidence in a nutshell. Here we have the song Revolution Number no. 9, where John just says the number 9 over and over again. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number nine. And then here we have it backwards. It's supposed to say, turn me on, dead man. Did you hear that? Did you hear, turn me on, dead man? And then at the end of I'm So Tired, we have this little bit. Supposed to say, Paul is dead man. Miss him, miss him, miss him. And here that is forwards. Is that gibberish or is it Paul is dead, miss him, miss him, miss him backwards? Why would you put the miss him, miss him, miss him in there? That's what I don't get. Why wouldn't you just say Paul is dead? He's really dead. He's really, really, really dead. Back to the show. Under questioning, an embittered rapo states his belief that the Gulf War took his life away. Oh, hang on. Did we skip over the kid? No. We're not there yet. Okay. Which, I mean, it kind of did. Yeah, I mean, Gulf War was bullshit, and... Well, war is taking away lots of people's lives. Yes. 
Mulder says, you're a soldier. You oh knew what God. you were getting into when you enlisted. If that were true, we wouldn't be recruiting children from high school. This whole scene, Mulder is the worst. Oh, yeah. It's really hard. This is another episode where there could be a good message about how much war is destroying our veterans and how we are doing little to nothing about it. But it, I don't think that's what their message is. No. It's so hard to tell what the message is. Because the good guy of the episode is, you're a soldier. You knew what you signed up for. Right. And nobody knows. They think they know, but they're freaking 18. What did you know when you were 18? Literally nothing that's actually true. I knew that I was going to be elected president in 2032. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I have time. And I'm not going to say... I can still be proven right. And I, and I don't mean to say literally nothing. 18-year-olds know some things, but they don't know what, how life-changing going to actual war is when they've been served up propaganda for their entire lives. That's why they're not recruiting me. <laughs> <laughs> because I'd be like, oh, fuck no, are you kidding me? I know better. Ugh. Also, I'd be a terrible soldier. Meanwhile, at the Callahans, Francis is cleaning up toy soldiers. Oh, apparently I did skip the kid. I knew you did because I missed a bunch of stuff I was going to say. I had some stuff about the kid. I don't know where it went. All right, well, the Callahan's kid gets buried in the sand. <laughs> wow. As soon as we saw him in that pit, I wrote down, kid dug his own grave. Literally. Okay, so I'm not sure where in this... Well, I don't know. I'm not sure how I missed it, but this is back when the attractive soldier guy comes, comes in. And I thought he was the ghost at first. Oh, really? Yeah, I had no idea. This guy just shows up behind this kid who's playing alone in this obvious death trap. Oh, the shadow of him? Or him himself? Just him. I just thought the whole... I had no idea what was going on. Oh, I see. Okay. And so I was like, is this the guy? And then I looked at him and I was like, that's not the guy in the hospital and it's not the other guy in the hospital, so I'm not sure who this guy is. The shadow over the kid was supposed to be the misdirect. Like, oh, they're going to get him. But then well, it was, then it was his bodyguard. Joke's on them. I had no idea who he was. Anyway, I didn't need a misdirect. <laughs> <laughs> bodyguard. Huh. All right. Well, the kid is in the sandbox, which, by the way, would be filled with cat feces. <laughs> Do you know that's why they had to start putting tops on sandboxes? Because cats won't dig in the dirt. They will find a sandbox first. Outside cats. That makes sense. It's easier to dig in. Yeah. So then all of the sandboxes that we played in as kids were probably covered in cat feces. Sweet. Yep. That's why we all have... Cats. Toxoplasmosis. That's <laughs> why so we have cats now. <laughs> the cats have told us to feed them and take care of them and keep them in climate control. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the kid has dug this hole, which is basically the size of a grave. It is. He has displaced so much sand... Just so he could play war. Right. So I guess in the end, he deserved it. He's about to learn war as well. <laughs> so, yeah. So the soldier goes around to the other house and... just He just goes to the side of the house. It was a different house. It, no, it wasn't. It was. It was just the side of the house. Everything doesn't make sense in the scene. <laughs> okay. He lights a cigarette and the kid gets buried under sand. His hand, his little hand is up through the sand holding one of the soldiers. Yeah, this kid died fast. He was weak. He wouldn't have made a good soldier. No. That's what you're saying. No. He's a fucking general's kid. Lieutenant Colonel. No, Lieutenant Colonel's the guy who tried to boil himself. 
Lieutenant Colonel Callahan also. I thought he was a general. Is he a general? Pretty sure he's a general. Dang it. I stopped adding their rankings. At some, yeah, right. He's yeah. a general. He's the top guy at the place. It'd be weird for him to be a lieutenant colonel. At the place? At the hospital? I guess it's a. It's definitely a hospital. Is it's it war stuff? Because <laughs> he's in charge of a war zone as well? Yep. War oh, and war. the VA. Yeah. No wonder nobody can get anything done at the VA. We're in so many wars and they're trying to do war and VA stuff. It makes sense the paperwork's a mess. <laughs> it does. <laughs> He's like, all right, bomb the hospital. Oh, shit, shit. No, no. <laughs> scratch that out. Bomb the hospital in Iraq. Right. <laughs> Don't scratch it out. They'll think that it's an accident. Just add to it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that, that kid dies. So after he dies at some point, um, we're back at the Callahans, and Francis is cleaning up toy soldiers. Callahan tries to console her by saying they'll get through this. And she says, I don't want to get through this. I don't want to just be. I've got good news for her. That's true. She does just want her son back, which I was like, this is the most... So Francis got the short end of this whole episode. This relationship? Yeah, the whole everything. But her scene was the most impactful emotionally for me. Mm-hmm. And it's another 20 seconds. So we get the 20 seconds in the pool. That was really well done. Uh-huh. And then we get the 20 seconds in the Callahan household. That's really well done. And the rest of it is dedicated to these guys who aren't really sure how to act yet. Yeah. I wish Callahan would have said something to her about... She says She's cleaning up the soldiers. She says, I know how you hate when he leaves them all around. I would have liked for him to say something to the effect of, I, I don't think I mind seeing them right now. Oh, yeah. Like he had something any sort he of emotional cared intelligence. about that kid? Yeah, no. That's when Rappo shows up as the Phantom Soldier with all of his limbs. Yes, I was wondering how they... How they did that? How they, they did, did that, that because... Because he has them. Yes. <laughs> and Callahan knows that his wife is dead. He finds her body in his office, and he ignores the ringing phone and instead grabs a gun and runs out of the house. <laughs> Well, the ringing phone was them saying, hey, uh, your wife's in danger. I he know. didn't need that information anymore. But he also didn't check her pulse. Well, she had a little bit of blood on her. What if she just hit her head or something? Well, there's nothing that can be done. No, he literally is just like, well, she's dead, bye. <laughs> Gotta run with a gun in my hands. <laughs> she has some blood on her hands. Right. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't check her, he doesn't shake her, he doesn't have any sort of emotional... Doesn't kick her. Francis... Get up. Francis, you're overreacting. (laughs) Fine. You can be sad for a little bit longer. (laughs) The kid's gone, Francis. Get (laughs) over it. Callahan goes to the hospital and threatens Stans or talks to him or traumatizes him further. I'm not sure. That whole... He just shows up at the guy's bedside with the gun. But it's like he knows what's going on. Now, I have, like, all of my notes right here are just questions. Why not kill Stans right here? He knows Stans wants to die. He knows the reason Stans can't die is because of Astral Projection Boy. And he tries to kill himself with the gun, but all the chamber won't catch around. Yeah, whatever. So I guess the chamber wouldn't be able to catch around. He tried to kill Stans as well. And that's not Astral Projection. No, none of this is. magic. Right, none of this is astral projection. So you're saying he couldn't go to Chernobyl and be safe? No. Because it's not real astral projection. Right. He is obviously impacting things around him, so it's like 
Astral Projection Plus. And I think with Astral Projection Plus, you get the radiation from Chernobyl. Oh, okay. He, so pay, he paid for the upgrade? He did. He got the upgrade one way or another, and it's really just... I guess it's working in his revenge scenario, but it would not work in his Chernobyl visit scenario. Okay. I'm glad to have that explained. Yeah. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. But my note was, why not kill Stans? Well, because you're thinking that General Callahan would kill a human being. Oh, yes. There's no... No, he would never. I forgot. Right. So, after Callahan's gun doesn't work, Stans reveals that it's Rappo doing all of the murder, but Callahan doesn't know who Rappo is, and so then we're just like, what? He is the good guy after all. Oh, Callahan? Yeah. (laughs) When Callahan confronts Rappo, apparently he figures out who he is and where he's at really fast. Well, I'm sure Stans tells him. Which room he's in? Sure. Okay. Or at least his name, so he can go ask someone. He does tell him his name, I believe. When Callahan confronts Rappo, Rappo openly admits his crimes. Rappo tries to goad Callahan into killing him, but Callahan decides to stand down instead. It was a good decision, like you're going to suffer with the rest of us. Yeah. Knowing that this guy wants to die, I would I think hopefully it was... have the wherewithal to make the same choice. I think it was the right decision. I think it was poorly done. But I think it's because all of these actors are mediocre. <laughs> mediocre. So Callahan walks out into the hallway, and that's when the agents are coming down the hall, and he's still got the gun in his hand. And the agents just say, hey, uh, they don't pull a gun on him. <laughs> Why him? He didn't steal any mail. There's no reason to pull a gun on him. All he did was unload a clip into the wall. Yep. That's it. That's In a hospital. Yeah. Where people are literally traumatized from gunshots. <laughs> also, it's a forty-five, and it did not pierce the wall. That thing would have went through 17 rooms. Yikes! The agents arrive and find Rappo in a trance. Scully thinks he's having a seizure, but Mulder knows. Mulder knows better. Yeah, I don't think so, Scully. The doctor is wrong again. <laughs> yeah. So, Scully goes out into the hall and calls for help. Because they're in a hospital and there's somebody she thinks is having a seizure, which is what you should do. But this show is teaching us not to do what we should do. And instead, it's teaching us to say, he's probably astral projecting to Chernobyl. (laughs) (laughs) This is when we see Rappo's apparition attack Callahan. Okay, my next question was, why would you get out of the elevator? So, okay, so Callahan goes into the elevator while all this is happening because they just let him go after he's blown holes into a wall in a hospital. (laughs) Through 17 rooms. Yeah. And two people. Right. They just let him go. Yeah, and he gets in the elevator. The elevator doesn't go where where he wants it to. It goes to the sub-basement. Which which is is the the scariest scariest basement. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. Which is the scariest basement. And he gets out. You know that your enemy is magic somehow. Maybe he doesn't know about astral projecting plus. But he knows (laughs) he knows it's magic. So he gets out where he knows that his enemy wants him. Yep. Why would you do that? That was my next question. So that we could have this amazing scene. My next question is why is there so much steam in these pipes? So that we can see (laughs) the astral projection plus. Coming through the steam. Every single pipe in here is a steam pipe. All of them are steam pipes. All of them are leaking. <laughs> it's pretty wild. They, sh- they show uh, stands 
slowly walking upstairs like they're teasing that he's going to do something. I fully thought he was going to kill himself. I thought he was going to jump off the roof. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Twist. Twist. But this is his opportunity to finally die. He knows that he wants to die. But now he also has revenge in his soul. <laughs> he does, I guess. Yes. He does. Yeah. Apparently he doesn't have his own death in his soul anymore. He has murder in his soul. So this is when Stans enters Rappo's room. He locks the door, and Scully sees him through the window in the door, and that's when he smothers Rappo with a pillow, while Rappo's apparition is attacking Callahan in the steam. And Mulder, because Mulder went down there. Yes, of course Mulder went down there to be all sweaty. And, and now, because everybody's sweaty, they're all the bad guy. <laughs> My note for this is, no! They gave him Rob Thomas hair. <laughs> Mulder's down there singing, It's 3 a.m., I must be lonely. <laughs> With Rappo dead, the apparition disappears before it can actually attack Mulder and do anything. Callahan remains unharmed. And since there's no physical evidence to prove that Rappo killed Callahan's wife and son, the case remains unsolved. Yes, yeah, so we get a voiceover ending again. Yeah, I didn't It's been a while. It been a while. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that is not a Matchbox 20 song. It is not allowed. Cast Files is an only Matchbox 20 podcast. Okay. I thought we were th- not 311. Who is it? Eve 6. Oh, Eve 6. <laughs> that would make more sense. It really would. Stans is released and becomes Callahan's mailman. Which, that guy murdered a person. Yeah. And Scully watched him do it. His sentence is mail guy. I don't even think that he's the mailman. I think he's, like, the assistant or something. And honestly, Lieutenant Colonel, or Colonel, wait, General Callahan, blah, looks like he's shocked to see this guy. Like, he doesn't come in regularly. It's a weird moment where they look at each other, and maybe they're supposed to be, like, knowing looks. Well, that was not conveyed. It looked like Stans came in, and he hadn't been around for a while, and just, like, gave him the mail. He walks in so slow, and then they look at each other for far too long. Made me uncomfortable. The lieutenant colonel and general acknowledge each other before the former leaves to continue his work. Mulder's narration states that Rappo's family tried to have him buried at Arlington National Cemetery, but the army denied their request. He was instead cremated and buried in a civilian cemetery in Pennsylvania. He also mentions that maybe he had a phantom soul. Oh, yes. He also said. One of the dumbest things I've ever heard. He also said, the war definitely took his limbs, but why was he so mad? (laughs) Yeah. What's this fucking guy's problem? Why is this guy so pissed off? It's the phantom soul. It poisoned him. Yeah, it was stupid. Yeah. Mulder had some terrible lines in this. Bad takes, Mulder. Yeah, and this is where I was going to talk about how it needed more exposition. We needed more of a. This seems like a weird thing to say. We needed more of a reason for Rappo to be targeting these specific people. I kind of need to know what he was doing. Was he on a regular old war mission that he was supposed to be doing? Was he on a secret mission that he was like, you know, bombing schools and shit like we did? Probably still do. And he's mad about that. Like, that would have made a better story for me. If he was on a mission that he didn't know he was, you know, killing children. That better than being on a mission knowing he's killing children? That's better than being on a mission where he's killing, like, actual enemy combatants. I didn't need more. I didn't need more of a backstory. War is bad. He came back. He was messed up. Nobody was helping. 
that makes sense to me. That all tracks. But I needed more passion. I needed more substance. Yeah. So who are you shipping? Honestly, I don't feel like shipping anybody in this one. Me neither. Okay, good. How are you surviving? Uh, not be a war criminal. Yeah, I'm just going to continue not being in the military. All right. Bummer ending on this one. Yeah, it really was... Man, a kid died and we didn't even laugh about it. I did, though. Oh. As soon as I saw the grave, I laughed my ass. I didn't laugh my ass off. It wasn't nearly as much as uh, little Tommy and the Kalashari. But for whatever reason, when this show kills kids, I find it hilarious. Which is strange, because like if I'm watching a Stephen King property, I'm like, oh, I'm so nervous the entire time. Like, when are they going to kill this kid? <laughs> this is terrifying. Oh no, they're going to kill that child. But the unexpected nature of killing a kid, my entire psyche finds it funny. It's like involuntary. Wow. Wow. You're messed up. Thanks. You're welcome. I'm a bad boy. Oh, that's yeah. not what I meant. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to start wearing bandanas. Okay. Be awesome. I mean, bandanas are helpful when you're out hiking and backpacking and stuff. Well, I have a hat for that. So you're saying switch to the bandana? Yeah. Okay. Or double them up. Double them up. Right. Because you can put your hat in the stream and then have your hat be cool, but the bandana will hold the water longer. I see. And you can wash your face with a bandana. You can't wash your face with a hat. I mean, I guess you could. You could wash your face with yeah. a hat. All right. You know what? Stick with a hat. I want to see you do that. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's another bad boy thing to do. Wash your face with a hat. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. You know what? It's unexpected. The, the hottest bad boys in high school are always the ones washing <laughs> their faces face with, with hats. Marching to the beat of our own drummers. That's right. Do <laughs> yeah. that. Definitely do that. All right. See you next week. See you guys out on the trail. Yes. Next to streams. We're all the coolest ones of us. <laughs> washing our faces with hats. <laughs> The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. Edited by Dave Reed. You can find us on Twitter at Cast Files. You can find me on Twitter at Dave Reed. That's D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. You can email us at thecastfiles. That's the with two E's at gmail.com. If you could please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and tell us that we are doing phenomenal things. Artistic, wonderful things. We are raising the bar on podcasting. We would love you forever for that. We have a Tee Public store. You can go buy t-shirts and stuff there. Music by Hal Six. Logo by Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. 